Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. As we go through the book of Acts, I really like where we are in the book of Acts because we get to see some of the inner workings of the church, some of the things that they dealt with, how they handled things, how they prayed through things, how they got some things right, maybe could have done some things better, but we get so many wonderful lessons. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 again, verses 26 through 31. And last week in Acts chapter 9, we saw the miraculous conversion of this man named Saul. Saul was on his way to Damascus to terrorize the church, and he ends up going on to Damascus after getting saved. He was actually more or less led to Damascus because he was blinded by the Lord. And he meets this Christian man named Ananias who who talks with him, who kind of guides him through some things. He's baptized there in Damascus. And Saul begins, get this, Saul, the terrorist of the church, begins to preach and proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does an exceptional job with this. And his ministry actually confuses everybody because they're like, isn't this Saul, the guy that was murdering Christians, that was rounding them up and throwing them into prison? And and, and he's so good at sharing Jesus. He's so passionate about sharing Jesus that he... uh, who's actually turned on by his fellow Jews, the people that were so proud of, of Saul and the work that he was doing to persecute these Christians, they actually turn on him, they try to kill him, and long story short, he's let down in the middle of the night through this hole in the wall, escapes to Jerusalem, and now we come to uh, the scene in Jerusalem where the Jerusalem church has to figure out what to do with this man named Saul. What do we do? with the one that had been part of murdering Christians, the one that had uh, endorsed the stoning and the murder of our brother Stephen, the one that had made it his life's ambition to hunt down believers and followers of Christ and rid the world of Christianity. What do we do when he wants to come to our church? It all boils down to how do we handle people? How do we handle new people, new Christians, new believers, new acquaintances when they come through those doors or we meet them out on the street? What do we do with them? And we learned several lessons about this in this passage of Scripture. And I just want to take a minute and say, church, I'm very proud of First Baptist Church in the way that we deal with people and handle people and love on people and make people welcome when they come through these doors. So thank you so much for that. However, it's not always easy when a saw shows up on a Sunday morning, right? So let's look at verses 26 through 31. The Bible says, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe that he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him. And how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. 
So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. We were blessed, and several of you have asked about him, and I so appreciate that. We were blessed when a new person, a new face, showed up several weeks ago, and that was Joe. Joe came into our church absolutely broken and received Christ. He was saved, and he's trying to turn his life around and, and follow the Lord. And I, I want to just take just a moment, and I don't know if he's able to watch this morning, but Joe uh, went to a treatment center to spend a, a year there last week, and Joe found out last night has suffered another stroke. He's not doing as good this time, but I told him that his church family would pray for him. So let's just take a moment, because prayer works, don't it, Herb? <laughs> and let's pray for Joe this morning. Father, first of all, we just want to thank you. Thank you for bringing Joe into our family. God, I, I don't know if he's been as blessed as we have by having him around. And Lord, he's trying so hard to get on the right path, to get the help that he needs. He's trying so hard to follow you. And God, right now, his body is, is it's hurting, it's struggling, and he needs your strength. Lord, I pray that you'd restore his health. I pray that you would give him encouragement. Father, I pray that you would continue to be with Joe and that you would heal him from his past, heal him from any problems that he has right now, and help him, Lord, to follow you with all his heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. When it comes to dealing with new people, first of all, you've got to have a process, right? You've got to know how to handle them, how to bring them in. There's got to be what I like to call a discipleship pathway where you bring somebody in off the street or somebody gets saved or they come through those doors for the first time and you set them on this course where they grow in their faith and they become a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ and then they too begin the process of making disciples. But more than the process, more, than, more important than what you do with people is how you treat people how you handle them. And we find four ways of handling people appropriately in this passage. Look at verse 26. The first one is without fear of them. There was a man several years ago early in, in our pastoral ministry that uh, is in this community, and everybody was afraid of him. He was just a bad, bad dude. And I'm not going to mention any names, but he, was, he whipped all kinds of people. I think he killed a couple of people. And nobody wanted to go witness this guy because they were just afraid of him. And I said, you know what? That's the guy I want to go talk to. And so he ended up getting uh, sick. He was in the hospital. And I went to see him. And uh, guess what? He didn't jump up out of the bed and try to beat me up or, or pull a gun on me or anything. He laid there and he listened to the good news about Jesus Christ. I wish I could say that he, he gave his heart to Christ that day, but it, he didn't. But he did hear the gospel. And so many times our fears prevent us from telling people about Jesus. They prevent us from loving on people. Luke's very clear in what the disciples were afraid of. First, they were afraid of Saul himself. They knew Saul's past. They knew his potential for evil. They knew what he was capable of. And because of all of that, Luke tells us they were afraid that he wasn't really a disciple. Now just think, 
How often that excuse right there has been used in the modern church. I'm afraid they're just not the real thing, preacher. (laughs) Oh, we know them all too well. You give them enough time and they'll show their true colors who they really are. I know their family, by the way. I know what they're capable of. We better not, we better not take them in. We better not let them serve in our church. We, they'll make us look bad. That person will stab us in the back. I've seen it before, preacher. Have you heard these kinds of things? Be honest. We have, haven't we? We may have even said some of these things. But the point is, we allow our fears about people to keep us from not only loving people, but to keep us from giving them the opportunity to grow in their faith, which is what we're called to do, and to be part of the body. Listen to what's at stake here. This church has the opportunity to turn Saul away or to make Saul part of their church. Can you imagine what the church would have looked like if the church had outright refused to bring in Saul, who would be the the Apostle Paul, into their church? How, how bad would you want to be the church that refused the Apostle Paul? Our fears can be devastating. So what do we fear? Well, I think one, we fear that people can't really change. That who they are and what they've done is what they always will be. But we talked last week that anybody can be saved and Christ can change anybody, right? We fear that people will hurt us. Guess what? They will. They're going to hurt your feelings. They're probably going to take advantage of you. But the thing is, it's not about our feelings. It's not about, oh, bless our little hearts. We can put all that aside. Third thing we, can fear, we, we do fear is that new people will bring with them some change that maybe we're not ready for. As FBC grows and reaches more people, I think this is something that we've got to be prepared for as a church. I know a, a one church went down this path. They were doing everything right. The church was growing. They were reaching people. They were baptizing people. And this one person in the church was just so distraught. And the pastor couldn't figure it out. So he sat down with this lady and he was trying to figure out what was wrong. And he talked with her and he couldn't understand why she was so upset because the church was growing. People were getting saved. The, the, the people were being discipled. The church was involved in missions. Everything looked good, but she was just tore up. And he finally got around to the, the heart of the issue. And she said, Pastor, this simply isn't my church anymore. I don't know these people. My church is gone. At the end of the day, we got to let fears like this go. And I think one of the hard issues, and this is going to hurt some feelings, one of the deep-rooted things that we've got to let go and we've got to remember, it's not my church. It's not, I don't know a lot of you have invested a lot into this particular church, but I'm sorry, it's still not yours. It kind of is, but it's not. And it's not mine either. It's Christ's church. And Christ said, go and make disciples of all nations. That means all kinds of people. And that means the church, the way it looks, is going to change a little bit. And we've got to be okay with that. How do we do that? Well, without fear, but verse 27 reminds us we've got to do it with a Barnabas attitude. So in the middle of this crisis with Saul the terrorizer coming into the church, people are kind of just freaking out. I'm sure they were scared. This is probably a divisive issue. You probably had some saying, well, let's, let's try him out. Some are like, do you remember who this guy is? And so we got this problem, and up steps this man, Barnabas. And Barnabas essentially adopts Saul. He kind of becomes his sponsor, his spokesperson. 
And he begins to smooth this situation over, and he teaches us three ways that we need to handle people. And the first is with epilambon omai. You might want to put that one on the screen. I paid good money to be able to use that word this morning. <laughs> epilambon omai. What that I needed a word that started with E, actually, and this one just happened to start with it. This is a fancy word in the Greek. It's used in verse 27 when it says Barnabas took him. He took him and he brought him. And it's, there's not a great word in the English for this word because it's used different ways in the Greek. And I want you to, to see this. In the New Testament, this word is often used in the sense that someone is taken into custody. They're arrested. They're seized and they can't go anywhere. And I think what that teaches us that we need to latch on to new people, honestly, to ensure that they don't get away. Because so many people come through the doors, they get saved through the ministries of the church, and what happens? Three months later, they slip out the back and we never see them again. Because nobody had a hold of them. The other way this word is used, and this is pretty cool, is when Jesus gets a hold of somebody. For example, when Peter is out there walking on the water and he's trying to walk towards the Lord Jesus Christ, in that moment he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. The Bible says Jesus caught him or he took him and he lifted him back up. Likewise, Jesus is in this village and he's, he goes to this blind man. And the Bible says that Jesus took this blind man. He took a hold of him and he led him out of the village and he restored his sight and he healed him. And so like Barnabas, we need to connect ourselves to the Saul's and we need to be willing to take this journey with them and to be there for them and to invest ourselves into them so that they can stay the course. And also it says that we need to treat these people like Barnabas with explanation. Barnabas becomes, like I said, the spokesperson for Saul. He explains the change that has taken place in Saul to the church. He explains how Saul has been preaching and proclaiming Jesus very boldly. And the point is, sometimes it's just nice to have somebody in your corner, especially in the church. Sometimes you just need somebody to help you navigate a new group and to sort through the different cliques in the church. We don't have cliques, do we? How hard is it for an outsider to get into the church? Sometimes you need somebody to explain different people and different personalities to you and different groups and how to be a part of these different groups and how to get plugged in to grow. In our modern day, it's nice to have somebody that can explain, one, you to the group, but probably more importantly, the group to you. Someone that can tell you about the next steps. Somebody that can talk to you about baptism now that you've been saved. Someone that can uh, help you find a place to serve and can help you get plugged into a Sunday school group. Somebody that can talk to you about church membership and what that means. And then the last one we find with Barnabas is that we need to handle people with encouragement. There are folks sitting here this morning that your gift is encouraging people. And I so appreciate the encouragement that many of you give me. The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. And we all need encouragement. However, people that are new or people that are going through extreme life changes really need our encouragement. Barnabas saw the good in Saul. He didn't focus on his past. He didn't focus on his failures. He didn't focus on all the things that he had done. He focused on what he was doing now and what was good and right in his life. And he brought that encouragement not only to Saul, but to the church. And this helped smooth over what was likely a very, very difficult situation for the Jerusalem church. 
And when we allow this to happen, we take people in, we walk with them through everything that they're going through, and we encourage them along the way. It allows for this next piece, verses 28 through 30. Edification. Edification is one of the purposes of the church. It's a fancy word that simply means to help people grow and to give them opportunities to help them grow and to serve. These verses tell us that Saul was taken in, and we see that he goes with the disciples. They actually take him with them. And he was given more opportunities to minister and to use and develop his gifts to the point that he was so successful that it actually caused a stir again here. Reminds me of a couple other people in the church. It just calls a stir everywhere they go. Tom? Just saying. But it resulted in the, the apostles having to send him out to Tarsus. You see, once we're no longer afraid of the person, and we take them in and we begin to encourage them and we build them up, what we do in the process is we build up and we encourage the church as well. What this involves is helping people find where they belong in the kingdom where they belong in serving in the church, to help people find their purpose in Christ, to examine those spiritual gifts, to consider those natural gifts, and then begin to see where it is that they can serve. Because, listen, you not only grow through learning, and you not only grow through hearing preaching and teaching, you probably will grow the most, and you will probably gain some of the greatest lives and ministries lessons through serving in some way. If we fail to edify people and we fail the church in this way, ultimately we have failed this person. Everybody has a place to serve. Everybody has a role to fill. And on the other side of this, I would encourage you this morning, if you don't feel like you have a place and you don't know what your role to serve is, come and talk to me. That's an open invitation to come to my office and let's figure out what God's purpose is for your life right now. I love helping people figure out what they can do to serve the Lord. When we do this, not only will you grow, but so will the church. Look at verse 31. This is so awesome. I want to read this verse again. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I think we've got to handle people not necessarily fearlessly, but with the right fear and with the right encouragement. We've got to set every other fear aside except the fear of the Lord. That means we can't fear people. We can't fear failure. We can't fear the world. We can't fear what all the other churches are going to say when we're bringing in these people. We have to fear the Lord Himself. And that means that we live in a reverent awe of who He is. And the counterpart to this is the encouragement of His Holy Spirit. And what this means is that if we take our focus off of everything else, if we take our eyes off of everything else that's honestly not that important, it means we stop worrying about the little things. Listen, it's pretty much all little things. And we get so tore up about all of this stuff that honestly just don't matter. But we forget about all that. We focus on the Lord. We focus on His will for us and for the church. We focus on the work that He intends to do in and through us. And then we dependently rely on His Holy Spirit to guide us, to equip us, to protect us, to do His job in drawing in more people. Notice what happens. The church reaps the benefits. The church experiences peace and strength. And Luke tells us that in this case, the church grew in number. 
Numbers are not everything, but numbers tell me that somebody's getting saved. Somebody's getting baptized. That somebody's life has been changed. Somebody's been rescued from an eternity in hell. That's what numbers mean to me. If you want peace and strength in your life, you have to follow and be obedient to Jesus. And I want to show you how this is so awesome. This verse right here, verse 31, takes us all the way back to Acts chapter 1 that we talked about a while back. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples what? He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But what happened? The problem was they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth in a timely manner. And I will add this, delayed obedience is disobedience. And so what happens is persecution comes and drives them out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, into Galilee. And it was there that they had once again experienced peace and strength because they were back in God's will. And here's what's crazy about this. <laughs> this is wild. God used Saul to cause the very persecution which drove the church out of Jerusalem, and he reconciled and saved Saul to help bring peace back to the church and get it back on mission. God works in mysterious ways. And I think anyone can be used by God in amazing ways. And the lesson for us as the church is that we can't alienate people that God may have a grand plan for. And the other part of that is that we also have to make sure that we're obeying Him in our lives. Let's stand together if you would. I want to ask you this question this morning. A couple questions, actually. The first is, is your life absent of peace because you're living outside of God's will? Are you missing the peace and the strength of the Holy Spirit because you aren't being obedient to God? Maybe this morning you need to submit your will to God's will. Maybe you need to follow up with baptism. Maybe you need to consider church membership. Maybe you're here this morning and you need saved. You will not have peace in your life until Jesus is the center of your life. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing through your church. It began so many years ago. God, I thank you that the gospel message is still going to the ends of the earth. And God, I pray that we would be reminded that we all have a part to play in this. Whether it's serving in our Jerusalem or our Judea and Samaria, or if it's taking a flight and going to the ends of the earth. God, we all have a role to play. And God, maybe there's someone here that's just struggling with figuring out what that purpose is. God, I pray today they just answer with obedience simple, willing heart, willing to go wherever you'd have them go and do whatever you'd have them do. Lord, if there's someone here that has no peace, that have no joy, that have no hope, I pray that today they'd find that in Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at BarbervilleFBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.